It's Wednesday, September 14th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 415 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 54 minutes. So do you want to give the audience a preview about the role-playing game you're just about to finish? Sure. It is called uh, The Spiders of My Mind, and it is about playing an insane murderer in an insane asylum. All right. So you you are a resident yeah. in the insane asylum. An insane and, asylum for the criminally insane. Right. You are guilty. So you, you did it. <laughs> There's no, that's not even a question. All right. Like, this isn't one who flew over the cuckoo's nest where you're trying to get a lighter sentence or something. Right. You you did it. The voices told you to do it and you did it. And that's why you're here and you got caught. All right. So there's, that's not even dealt with in the game. Okay. So walk me through how this works. So I'm I'm going to play a character. I'm in the insane asylum, right? Okay. So what it is, is the game has two cycles. It has a night cycle and a day cycle. And in the day cycle, the day is where you and the other inmates, the other people you're playing with, everything is controlled. Everything is locked down. There's no dice. There's no numbers. There's nothing to deal with. Right. There's no rules because you can't do anything. There's orderlies everywhere. And if you decide to try something, yeah, you might give somebody a bloody nose or do something bad. But then they turn the hoses on you or they come in with their clubs and they beat you down or their drugs that they right. inject they, into you. Right. And, they zombify you. Right. Sure. And it's not even a thing that you can effectively do. OK. But in the day cycle, you have what's called the group therapy sessions. And so you're, you're kind of walking around. You're in the day room. And the characters overhear things that the orderlies and nurses are talking about that they think that the crazy people don't understand or can't hear or whatever. And so the game master drops hints about, you know, the, the deeper mystery that's going on in the asylum. Because there's always some deeper, crazier, weirder things that the that the patients aren't a part of, that they go and make themselves a part of. So what you do as a player is you fill out a questionnaire and it, it asks you it, the typical leading questions thing, like in Dread or any of those other kind of games. But there's no Jenga Tower in this at all. There's there's no Jenga Tower at all. So you answer the questions, and that kind of makes your psychological profile of who you are and asks, you know, what did you do, why you did it type of leading questions. Then you take note cards. You take one note card for every player that sits around the table minus the game master. And on that note card, you write a name and a short description and a couple of sentences. I mean, we're just talking like three to four sentences, nothing major. Three or four sentences describing a person in your life. And this is a person who had an impact on you or a great deal of influence over you. And the closer they are to the bad things you've done, the better. Either they caused it, or it could be somebody you killed, or it's just somebody that influenced you, or something like that. So you write these descriptions down. Then they call, the Game Master in, in the guise of the doctor calls a session. So everybody gathers around, and the, the doctor asks for a volunteer. So we'll say you're the volunteer. Okay. And what you do is the doctor is asking you to... Okay. I keep killing all these women that look like my mother. Right. <laughs> You're asked to share. Yeah. All right. You know, about this. So what you do is you hand the note cards to the people around the table. Everybody gets one, except for the game master. The game master at this point pulls back, doesn't do anything. You wait a minute. Yeah. You're designing a game where the game master has little responsibility. <laughs> In the day cycle, the game master has little responsibility. <laughs> okay. He picks it up more at the night cycle. <laughs> So you take on sort of the role of the game master. And what you are doing is you do a flashback. You go back in time and you, Brodor, are role playing out your character and past actions and scenes in your life that influence you. It doesn't have to be the kill, you know, or anything like that. But it's, the, it's what influenced you. The no cards are people in your life that are played by the other players. They play the NPCs in your life. The thing is, you don't control them. You've given them some descriptions. You've given them some hooks Some bullet points, right. You've given them some right. bullet points. But once you hand that character over, even though it's your story, you don't control them. And they interact with you. So what you do is like you would be like your father and your mother would be played by 
two people you're playing with. And you describe the scene. You you say, okay, this is uh, a summer day five years ago. It's sweltering heat and the air condition's broken. And my dad is getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And, and mom is getting more and more and more afraid. And then you open the scene up. And then you say, well, and my character walks in and starts doing this and this. And then they start, you know, the guy who's playing your dad starts getting really angry. And the person playing your mom is just like, oh, don't, you know, it's like, and tries to protect you. And that's, and then, you know, we can see where this goes from here. And you, you role play that out. So does everyone have opportunity to have one of these flashbacks during day cycle? It, okay. So hold on. Okay. (laughs) All right. So. You, everybody gets a chance to play NPCs in your flashback. Now, you don't necessarily have to do one flashback. You call the scene. You know, it's just like you have this big dramatic moment where your father hits you and, you know, pushes your mom down the stairs and does something horrible. It presents how how it influenced you. And then you could say, okay... The next part is two years later and dad has cancer and he's in his bed and I'm there in hospice and we're role playing the scene out. And so the guy is the the person who played your dad in the previous scene is playing him again. But now he's in this hospice care and he's dying of cancer. And then you you have this conversation back and forth. And then he the the guy, your, your fellow players pushing you and pushing you and then put the pillow over your father's head. Mm hmm. You know, and you discover things about your character because you don't you have seeded the scene with the people who influence your character, yet you do not control them. So they interact in your scenes in your life in ways you don't know and understand, which grows your understanding of your character because it doesn't play out how you think it will. You can also have characters across multiple scenes, like one of the examples I give in the rules is you can have your sister and your sister is suspicious that you're doing strange things and you play some scenes revolving around that. And then you jump a few years later and your sister catches you in the act of doing this horrible murder. And then you jump it again. And then your sister is at your trial and that's all you've done. All you've done is put your, is make the trial scene and the person playing your sister is there and they decide to play your sister is they are asking for leniency for you, that you are a troubled and sick individual and that you need help. Whereas maybe you thought your sister would be like, no, put him in the chair and burn him for this horrible thing. But you don't know. It can go it can go any way they want it to go. Interesting. Yeah. And so you play this flashback of your life and then the game master will call the scene. The game master controls the tone. So the game master will call the scene and say, OK, well. You know, okay, that's enough. That we'll go into the next one. Go on next one. Okay, that that's enough for the day cycle. In the day cycle, one person does this, and that's the entire focus of the day cycle is on you. Is everybody around the table is playing characters based on you and your character and what you're doing and discovering everything about your character and fleshing your character out. That's what the entire session is about the entire day cycle session and we don't do another one we don't do the, the second part it's like okay well that was rotor now we're going to move on to wayne right so next game no. session will be wayne we'll, we'll be wayne right so what follows day is the night so now you've done during the day session you've done some role playing with each other where you've kind of talked about plans and that sort of thing and then you've overheard guards and and orderlies and stuff and you've kind of gotten some hints and some plot hooks that the the game master has been able to salt in there and conversation maybe you know other crazy patients are saying things or maybe they're disappearing you know it's like whatever the the actual plot is and then you have this really deep moment with your character so then you move on to the night cycle and the night cycle is the patient's escape. They don't escape from the hospital. They can't get out of the hospital. It's right, but they get out of, they they get get out out of the rooms. rooms. They, yeah. So now what we have is we have rules and dice and things like that. And the, it is about narrative control. So what you do is you take fate dice, but this isn't fate. It's not fate. It's not fudge. It's not anything. And you don't take four dice. You take five fate dice. And you roll, it's, you have to roll your five dice. Whenever you're presented with a challenge or you're presented with, you know, something coming at you, you have to deal with like, okay, I, there's a guard and he is at a desk. I, I as the game master say, okay, you want to get down this hall, but there's a guard there and he's sitting at his desk. Maybe that's all I say. Maybe, maybe that's all the detail I get. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try and sneak past him. 
because it's dark and it's quiet and this probably you know whatever like right. oh, all right and he's watching porn on his he's ipad porn, yeah. right. well may, we don't know this yet ah. so this is part of it roll your five dice all right so i pitch them so you, you, right you roll your five dice the number of pluses you have is the level of detail you get because you get narrative control the number of minuses you roll is the amount of narrative control I get as the game master. And that is the consequence of what you're doing. The number of blanks is just nothing unless you roll four blanks. You roll four blanks, you have a psychotic episode. Ah. Where you have to pull out of a bag a piece of paper. Suddenly you have hallucinations. You have any number of really horrible. And I give a bunch of examples of different things that happen, but these really horrible things that happen, you know, maybe it's the meds. Maybe you're on too many meds. Maybe you're on not enough meds. Maybe it's the constant beatings during the day. Maybe, I mean, cause you are a disturbed individual. Maybe you grab the, uh, grab the mop, you snap the handle and you go Sarah, Sarah on this guy. Yeah. Right. Or, or yourself, you know, I mean, right. cause that's the thing with this, with the, sure. with the psychotic episode is that it is disadvantageous. It doesn't give you, you don't have crazy powers. Insanity is a bad thing and you fail the role and you get the psychotic episode and the psychotic episode hurts you and you have to deal with it. And the people around you have to deal with it. But the pluses, so like you get the successes and it's one through five is the level of successes, right? So say you get three. Well, that means you you succeed, you get narrative control. So you start describing like, okay, the guy is sitting there. Like, like we said, the game master said, there's a guy behind a desk sitting in a chair. That's it. That's all the level of detail he gave. Well, now you have narrative control. You get to define things that were not defined before. As long as they are within the framework of what's going on, you cannot say, okay, aliens beam down and blast this guy with their lasers. And I just walk past and wave hi to my buddy aliens because that's outside of the framework of the game. Right. But, you know, in, but in this example, garb sitting at desk, desk. does he, does he have a distraction? One he, of my pluses says, yes, he is distracted he, by the video game on his phone or right, whatever. Right. Right. Like, uh, or one of the things you can do, I could say, well, he's sitting at the desk and there's an alarm button on the wall. Um, you roll your five dice, you roll your five dice. Okay. Yeah. He is sitting there and he's, and you know, he's playing this video game on his phone and he's pretty distracted. And, uh, the alarm button has an out of order sign tack to it. And, uh, then you know, it, it's not three details. It's just sort of like a level of competence. Right. And then, so. It, because it's all shadowy and dark, I just slowly sneak by. And when I sneak by, I see that, you know, and then I'll stop you. When when the game master feels that you've reached your level three of stuff, I stop you. So let's say. Right. You, and this is going to require a lot of trust among the right. players and the game masters because, you know, you don't want to have the situation where somebody feels that they were treated unfairly because his three pluses were right. more potent than my four pluses in a previous scene. Right. Sort of that kind of petty bullshit gamers do. So you rolled minus. Let's say you rolled three pluses and two minuses. That means that you have two consequences. The reason why it's important for you to add in these details is because it gives me as the game master less things to use against you. You are padding your success for the inevitable consequence of your two, two minuses. The example would be the out of order sign on the button. You know, it's just like, okay, there's an alarm button there. You think to yourself, I have got to take that alarm button out off the table because if he hits the alarm, it's all over with. Oh, there's an out of order sign on it. You can define that because it wasn't defined as not being there. So you define it as being there. So I look at it and I'm like, okay, you, you roll your two minuses, you're sneaking by him. He's totally distracted by this video game. And there's the out of order button, out of order sign on the button. And you're making it past. And all of a sudden his phone rings and it's the crap out of you. And you just stop and he doesn't see you. You just stop. And so he stops playing with his phone and, you know, he, he answers it. You don't think he saw you. So now what I'm going to do is that's about a level one. I'm going to take as a game master, I'm going to take this other minus because you rolled two and I'm going to put it in my bank. Uh, I have a bank of dice. 
because I now have gone from zero minuses in my bank to one minus. And now I can use this against someone else. Say someone rolls five pluses and it's a really, really important tense scene and they just blow it away with a crit. And I'm like, they are getting off way too easy with that. Yeah, you get five. You get five. You get a level five pluses there. You get a level five success. I'm pulling a minus out from earlier and I am going to put a consequence on this. So you're not getting away scot-free. It allows at, at first blush that makes it seem like the game master has an FU switch. Uh, where he can just take stuff out and you know screw players who right, but well. the, but that's not it. I mean, that's I mean, not, if, that's not if, the purpose. I of mean, it. I'm, I didn't design the game, right? But but to me, I think what you're describing is that that drama, that challenge, that adversity mm-hmm. is what makes the game interesting yes. for both the player and the game master. That's what makes all storytelling yeah. interesting is adversity and how the principal characters mm-hmm. deal with that adversity. Yep. It is that, and it's a release, it's a pressure release valve. So let's flip this a bit. Let's say you rolled a single plus, so you're going to sneak by the guard, but then you rolled four minuses, and you're getting screwed. So I'm sitting there as a game master, I'm like, they just got out of their room, they haven't done anything yet, and the first roll they make totally blows it, and what the hell am I going to do with four minuses? The guard stands up and beats him half to death. It's only the first five minutes of the night cycle. That's right. stupid. It's a pressure release valve. So as a game master, I could say, I can play it off, but I can go, okay, you know, and this phone rings and it makes you stop and you have a near heart attack, but you make it pass. And I'm going to take these two, you know, what did we say? There were there four, were four, four minuses. I'm going to take these three right. minuses. And bank them. And bank them. Doesn't mean I ever have to spend them. But it allows me to tone the game, to adjust that tone dial on the game to how I want it. If you guys are doing too good, I can throw more dice at you. If you're doing too badly, I can take more dice away to your favor. And I can keep the game as a game master and keep the game in that sweet spot. Now, here's the thing. The players can bank pluses. So you roll four pluses and a blank, and the blank doesn't mean anything. So you're getting by. All you want to do is just walk by this guy. Just walk by. You don't need to add all the detail. You don't need all this narrative control. You don't need to go crazy. And so you just say, okay, one plus, and I sneak by. And he doesn't notice me because he's playing his video game. I'm going to take all of these other pluses, and I'm going to put them in my bank. And from there, you can play your pluses on your own roles, and you can play them on other people's roles, too. So you can help out your teammates. So. I'm going to switch gears here for a minute. Yeah. What, what attracted you to the, the trapping of the criminally insane and the institution? I had an idea for a one shot game. There was a, a while ago, I'd say two, three years ago where I was really getting into dark games, like where you play dark, evil, bad people. And, uh, I wonder, I had an idea for a, a dark game like this where, well, what, what about people who are serial killers? And again, we're not talking criminals, somebody who has like a crime of passion. I mean, I'm talking the voices told you to burn the orphanage to the ground type of people. Right, which I know Dan alluded to conspiracy theories the other day or uh-huh. earlier in the episode, excuse me. I learned about one recently called V2K, which mm-hmm. are voice to skull weapons, where they tune them specifically to your brainwaves nice. and only send you or a specific group of people voices. Very exciting. So, you know, I don't know if I'm really selling this game to people or not. Uh, I mean, selling the concept. I'm going to release the game for free. But the... Uh, well, and I didn't, I didn't mean for it to become yeah. a commercial for your game, but yeah. I, I'm one of the things that I've never done is game design. Many, right. many things I've never done. But, and, and I'm fascinated by the approach. And so I'm curious about all the facets of it. Let me explain how this plays out, though. Like, because I ran this for my group in an early sort of beta version of it, and it was really screwed up. It was a very, very dark game. So one of the characters that you can play, because I have sample characters in there with sample sheets, but obviously you, you could play whatever you want and you can make whatever leading questions you want. Wayne's wife, Sarah, played the twins. <laughs> they were twin little girls and they murdered their entire family slowly with knitting needles. Ew. And uh, no, I mean, this game gets really dark. So 
in her leading questions, she was asked, you know, it was some very esoteric questions. It was never referred to in her questionnaire. Now, in the other questionnaires, we, I called it murder. Murder was murder. In her questionnaire. Because she's a child. It was the game. Right. Why do you play the game? Right. What, what are, why are the rules of the game this? And I wrote like a three-line poem. And, you know, it, this sort of thing, like, who told you the rules to the game? And it was all these sorts of like weird esoteric questions. And so she started going on and, and they, I mean, she got really detailed about like her cat and her cat talked to her and mommy and daddy didn't like the cat and the, the, the cat had to go away, but they, but they knew the twins knew what mommy and daddy did. And then the cat came back and told them to, I mean, it was like some real That's disturbing. So I explained to them about the note cards, right? So Sarah's like, oh my God, yeah. And so she writes out her her mommy and her daddy. And the cat. She writes out the fucking cat. Amen, man. She gives it to Pat. <laughs> Pat takes off all the filters. Yeah, po- I mean, porn, porn is off, phone is on yep, the table, face down. He is right. like there. He is into this. And, be, and we go through her day cycle. Now, we did a sort of an abbreviated game. Because there's only a one shot and I wanted to get through all the characters. Normally, this is a multi-session game where you do a day cycle and a night cycle and that's it. We'll see you guys next week or whatever. And then do a day cycle, night cycle and go on like that until you work through the whole group. We did a little bit abbreviated, but Pat played her cat. And my God, he was creepy because he wasn't just like, oh, I'm your cat. You love me. And then I'm going to tell you to kill people. But he was like, Pat really likes kids. Pat's really, really good with kids. Kids really like him. So he knows how to communicate with children. And you rarely tell a kid. I mean, you give a kid orders like, hey, go pick that up. But if you want a kid to think a certain way, you have a certain kind of conversation with them and you sort of lead them down the path until they sort of realize where you are leading them and are like, it's like their own idea. And that's what Pat did with this goddamn cat where he led the twins down this path where the ultimate destination was to stick knitting needles into the skulls of their parents in revenge for getting rid of their goddamn cat. Right. And he, he did. I mean, it was so good. It was so creepy. It was so awesome. Pat stopped playing his character during the night cycle and played the hallucination of their cat leading them through their adventures at the nighttime. And it was awesome. It was very, very good. So what, I mean, so how did, how did this get started for you? Cause I know you've designed uh, a couple of other games as right. well that you've released, but on this one, I mean, how did, where, I don't want to ask this sort of douchey cliche, right. what was your inspiration, Chad? But I mean, so, so, you know, beating around the bush, what was your inspiration, Chad? My inspiration was, it was actually a couple fold. The idea for the flashbacks. That's, that's the YouTube equivalent of, hey guys. Hey, hey guys, <laughs> like, comment, subscribe. So. The idea for the flashbacks is not my own. And again, I, I really am kind of kicking myself because I don't think I'm, I'm quite selling how cool the concept is, how awesome it really plays out. Because, I mean, it gets the flashbacks get very, very deep. You are not playing inmates who are doing psychological role playing of a character. It is a character telling the story of themselves to the group and the camera flashes back to that event and the other players play the influential people in their lives. What's fascinating about this, what you're describing in your game is that you could hack it for anything, right? Yeah. So we've talked about, mm-hmm. we're going to do a time jump in my D and D game. And what does that look like? And all the collaboration that's yeah. going on between me and the players, the players with one another, you could do something similar like this in any yeah. game. We could say, okay, we're going to do a flashback for my buddy Brent's character in this mm-hmm. particular D and D session. And Brent Absolutely. has basically written down NPCs and, and hook bullet mm-hmm. points for each NPC. You could do this conceptually in any game to further flesh out background for characters. If you take a look at my other two games, one of my design principles as a guy, I, I can't even call myself a game designer. I, it's just something. Didn't that you I win an any? 
anybody can win in any. I, <laughs> <laughs> if you have if you have enough people right. stuffing the ballot, ballot box, box, yeah, right, yeah. right. What one of my design challenges that I give myself, or one of my things I want to do, is modularity within a game. My other two games had a lot of concepts that you can take the individual concept and uplift it out of the game and put it in anything that you want. Hmm. This absolutely has more of that and better in that. But what I wanted to get back to, too, was the idea for the really awesome flashback thing is not mine. It's a guy named Michael Matthews. I've mentioned him on the show before. He's actually introduced me to a lot of role-playing games. He's on our forums. Uh, he's Godfather Brack. Uh, awesome, awesome guy. He ran a stalker game at Fear of the Con one year. And this is the the video game stalker. Or Roadside Picnic is the book that's based off of basically Russian sci-fi. It's very weird. I could do an entire episode about Stalker itself. It's just a really crazy sort of universe. He ran this game, and in the game, he had the concept of the flashbacks. And the Stalker role-playing game was like some Czechoslovakian role-playing game or something that he got a translation of over the internet or some crazy thing like that. My other two games, the theme of the games are about the human mind. And that's what this game is about, too. It's about the human mind. One is about dreams and problems that we have and fixing those problems through our dreams. And the other one is about memories and the past and about how memories can come back in ways that you don't expect them to. It, it kind of inverts the concept of a memory. And in this one, this is about how the past affects the present, but the present is twisted and unreliable. And is the present is very, very bad. It's very disturbed and unquiet. And it's about how the past influences that and leads up to it and defines it. But the starting point for the game is not the past. It, it, you don't know how it leads up to it and defines it. You have to play the game to find out how it leads up to it and defines your unquietness. No, for for me as a gamer, I think that is the most interesting part mm. is the how did we get here? Right. Right. So we, we are all guilty. We are all in this mm -hmm. place. The question becomes is that let's unpack how we got yep. here and why we did what we did and how we, you know, how our minds became damaged. That's fascinating. Yeah. And that's the that's the whole point of the day cycle and the night cycle. It, it is two games in one. In one game, you do that. You you define partially how you got to where you are, but you don't have full control over it. You're insane. You don't have insane people don't have full control over themselves. And this represents that. The other players playing NPCs, like you can define a couple of things about the NPCs, but the rules are very explicit that this is not your character. As soon as you hand that note card over and let the note card go, it is no longer your character. Well, and I think that's probably, I mean, I think that's a very valuable exercise, you know, a very valuable skill for gamers to practice is the relinquishing of narrative control. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you as the game master should turn your game over to your players, but I certainly think that everyone mm. should check their expectations at the door because no one is going to look at things exactly the way you do. No one is going to anticipate decisions or results problems exactly the way that you would do it or even as the game master you would want them to do it mm -hmm. you know so I think that's really interesting to think that okay I've got my character but I have given narrative control to these other significant NPCs in my character's history to the other players let's see how this breaks down right and that's right. interesting yeah and the second half of it is the night cycle where it is more of what we consider a traditional game not in the narrative control part. I mean, that's pretty indie type stuff where it's just like the results of your dice roll define the amount of narrative control that the player has and how much narrative control the game master has. I mean, you want to talk about random. It's, it's not a random of whether I hit and do a lot of damage. It's a matter of a back and forth of who gets to tell this story. And it's not a competition. We're trying to both tell a really good story. It just gives the game master a couple of tools to control the level of tension 
and pace of the story. Right. It's a gauge for collaboration. Right. Right. And right. I think that that's the thing that I think is most fun about this style mm-hmm. of indie game is the collaboration from one yep. player to the next. Yep. All right. Well. So, yeah, I, the game is called Spiders of My Mind. It's not out yet. I have completely written it. And I am doing, you know how you kind of go over it and then you read the whole thing. You know, they tell you in English class, like, okay, write your paper, read it, do the corrections, and then read it again. Mm-hmm. And do the cor- I'm on the second half of reading it again. And now I need to find an editor. That's actually, that was my next question is that, so how did you go, how did you go about that previously? <laughs> how I went about it previously is there's a man named Chuck Wills. He, I don't know if he listens to the show anymore. I'll have to ask him. We play video games together. Chuck, years ago... It's the guy you're playing Diablo 3 with currently? Currently, Okay, yeah. Uh, Years ago, before I wrote my first game, I basically went on the FTB forums, and I said, hey, here's my Steam ID. Anybody who wants to play with me, friend me, and these are the games I play, and I like playing co-op games with people. I like playing competitive games with people. I just like playing games with people, and I'm down with it. There were a whole bunch of people who friended me, but there were only a couple of people who played... Chuck played with me a lot. I mean, we just really hit it off. And I consider Chuck a really good friend, even though I've only met him once or maybe twice in person. We have just sunk hours upon hours upon hours into video games, right? So the punchline of this is Chuck has an English degree. Ah, yep. And uh, Chuck did me a solid and he edited my game. Now, there's another person, Adam Godfrey who I used to do kicking the dice bags with. And uh, I think he has a writing teaching degree or something like that too. He also, he helped me edit one of them. Both of them edited one of my games and then Chuck edited by himself the other game. And I give them credit and such for that. Chuck switched jobs and uh, his, his schedule is very erratic now. I have not asked him to edit the game and I'm not sure I'm going to. Not because I don't like the quality of his work. His work is great. I mean, we want an any, but his, his schedule is just so erratic. I don't want to put any pressure on him or anything like that. I, I think that's what friends are for is to <laughs> is to be those relationships are there for being leveraged and for applying pressure <laughs> to get what it is that you want out of yeah, that relationship. That's right. And what we all want is butt stuff. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Very well edited butt stuff. So something that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Conceptually about the game. Mm-hmm. And I've had this experience as a gamer in the past and, and, and I've I mean I've been gaming for a long, long time and I've tried a variety of different things and I've explored sort of the ugly, dark mm-hmm. characters in the past. And I've found that as an adult, right? So I'm in my I'm in my early forties, and I find that generally in inter- entertainment, I I want to be the good guy. I want to root for the good guy. Right. So for me, the thing that I find most challenging about the game are the trappings, mm-hmm. the the ugliness of being this dark, corrupt, twisted, yeah. mentally damaged killer. I have a hard time. Not only am I going to have a hard time playing that myself as a person, but then participating in Mm -hmm. everyone else's development as that person. And I don't know why it's not like, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm Mm -hmm. not passing judgment on people who want to play that way. As I said, I've done it myself in the past. I just, I'm going to find it difficult to want to come back to that, but this game's not designed. It sounds like to be a one shot. I'm going to have a hard time, like a five to six shot, (laughs) right? I'm going to have a hard time coming back to that every game session to delve deeper into Mm -hmm. this well of darkness. I I, I don't know. I think I'd have a hard time with that. So you and Dawn both. Now, when when I play tested this a long time ago, Dawn was part of it and everybody was really got into it. Every except Dawn. She had a real huge struggle with this. She just was not into somebody. She could play somebody who was bad or had a broken moral compass or someone like that but she had a real hard time in playing someone that she considered evil although i don't know if i would consider these people evil these characters evil because they're not doing it they're mentally disturbed that's the whole point is that you're not just playing a murder hobo right who does justifiable killings of orcs all the time you are playing someone who has some sort of compulsion in their broken mind to murder in horrific ways i mean it's pretty dark but yeah that was not for dawn 
she made a character and it didn't she didn't really participate and she really withdrew from the game um she did not like it at all it was not for her but on the other hand you know beth and pat and wayne and sarah really got into it what are role-playing games except a safe space where you could do the things that you normally couldn't do as long as everybody's on the same page with it. I mean, that's the whole X card sort sure. of thing, right? It's, it's just like, okay, you know, murder hobos are cool and burning down orphanages is cool and we're playing bad guys and that's cool and this guy's talking about rape. X card. Right. That's acceptable. That's, hey, suddenly your safe arena that you're in where you can do all this crazy stuff that you normally couldn't, isn't allowed in society, went one step too far for you. And yeah, if that disturbs you, you shouldn't play this. Mm-hmm. But all three of my games follow a theme. I mean, these these are all about the human mind. And they all kind of run together thematically, at least to me. Because again, one one is about dreams and dreaming, but you play bad guys, you play thieves. And the flip of it is how you win the game is that the target whose dream you go into has problems. If they didn't have problems and were perfectly happy, be really fucking so you're not. Game. Yeah, you're not. You know, you're not cracking saves. Right. You're using you're using dream theory yeah. to resolve this guy's issues to get so, the information. So that so his mind is the safe that you're cracking. He right. Has to give it to you for him to give it to you. He has to trust you. For him to trust you, you have to do things to make him trust you. Those things that you do to make him trust you are you help him work through his problems. But you're going into the mind of somebody who has a lot of problems. And so there's a a level of darkness there. And then in Silent Memories, the one where you lose all of your memories, your memories that you get are seeded with bad things. So you could be playing this person who's doing these great things and is very heroic and is helping out the team. And then you pull a block from the Jenga tower and you reach into the bag and you take out a memory. And wow, I am an ass. You know, I cannot believe I did this this bad thing. And not all of them are make you out to be bad. Right. I mean, one of the memorable things is somebody pulled a memory out. A lot of the memories are if you're this person, then this other person in the group, you you remember them doing this and this thing that you remember them doing is them being really horrible. And there was some that happened in one of the games that I ran and the two players were working really close together and they were really bonding and really close together and they're really getting stuff done. And then this person pulled out this memory and looked at it. Total change. Absolute cold shoulder. Didn't trust them at all. And in silent memories too, one person is going to be the bad guy. As soon as the tower falls, one person becomes the bad guy to it and they are dark and they are evil. Hmm. You don't know who that's going to be. Yeah. See, that concept, the concept of discovering the sort of the dark history of a mm-hmm. character, that I think I would have a much easier time yeah. getting behind than from moment one, right. knowing that I'm this dark person yeah. and that I'm motivated to do these terrible things. That would be hard for me. Now, as a game master, I find it much easier mm-hmm. to present villains to the party and dark deeds and dark thoughts and dark concepts because ultimately the player characters are good and they will prevail over evil or this darkness Mm. or these awful motivations. And so I have presented some really heinous, ugly things to my players in the past, but I find that that pill is easier to swallow because I know that the player characters ultimately are going to crush this bad guy and this evil will be defeated. But in what you're describing, Mm -hmm. there's the good guys aren't there, right? I'm the bad guy. You're the bad guy. She's the bad guy. And now we're going to be bad guys together. I have a hard time with that, I think. Well, and I guess one of the questions that can be thrown out is, Well, okay, so now that we're all bad guys, where do we go from here? Do we just go do bad guy stuff? Well, no, that's what the night cycle is for. There is a plot. The game master has a story and a plot and a mystery. And there are things going on that the players have to in their even in their disturbed states uncover and deal with. Hmm. And 
the mystery is dangerous and world changing and bad. And depending on what the game master does, it's not really supposed to be presented as, you know, the devil comes up and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's the devil. And then the player's like, you know what? I kind of like that guy. Right. I'm in. I'm in on that. Yeah. We've decided to all become Luciferians. Fantastic. Right. Fantastic. And that's not really how it plays out. Gotcha. I mean, when I ran it for my group, I did a sort of cult thing like all the directors and the staff of the hospital were running a secret cult and they were slowly grabbing patients and sacrificing them and there was more of a there's a a weird element to it too and the players they're evil and they kill and they do all this sort of stuff and then they're like well wait a minute i'm no man's sacrifice i'm no sheep I am the right. lion. I, yeah, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the yeah. wolf. I, I do the hunter. I do the reaping. God damn right. it! Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I am yeah. the hunter, and uh, and that's kind of how they played it, and then the the mayhem commenced. Yeah, I'd give it a try. Yeah. I would. I don't know if I'd be a baby about it though. Yeah. yeah. There's there's this really great. Well, I mean, kind of instead of just bashing this one topic of my my soon to be game here. <laughs> <laughs> bashing not, no i mean uh, like kicking the dead horse oh roger you know, talking about right, right. It. but the uh one i would say if you want to play a really evil character there's this other game that i ran and then i've had run for me um again michael matthews kind of introduced this to me and i don't think it actually had any rules i think we just kind of did whatever oh sure um and it was about a haunted house and you you filled out the questionnaire, these sort of leading questions. And I don't re- remember too much about the, the details of the rules and such, because it was many years ago. But you filled out the leading questions, and you played someone who's not necessarily mentally insane, but someone who was, they do something bad. At least society considers them bad. Now, we may not consider them evil or not. And I asked, you know, well, what? What year is it? It's like, well, we're going to be playing in the 1950s. It's like, okay, but you need me to play something that society considers evil in the 1950s. I'm playing a gay man, but it was supposed to be really, really dark. Being a gay guy is not dark. There's nothing dark, inherently dark about being gay. So I made him a killer. Uh, he was he was actually a pyromaniac. He had this compulsion to set fires, and he had set houses with people in them on fire but that's neither here nor there so everybody made characters that were similar that had some sort of darkness in them they weren't necessarily i was kind of the extreme psycho and it kind of went down from there for the other players but everybody played characters that had controversy and darkness within them the whole thing was about a haunted house and the house reflected your evil and it fed on it and so you fill out the, the leading question, the questionnaire. And so the game master learns all this stuff about you and then has the house do things to you. Like you see things, you have visions. It might threaten like, like one of the other characters was my character's lover. And my character was an and it was an abusive relationship and I was the abuser. And like the house would do things to manipulate us. We'd see things or it would threaten people and it brought out the evil in the characters, but the characters kind of had to push through their darkness, so to speak, to be able to realize that the house was the real problem, not us. And then to deal with the poltergeists and the evil in the house. See, I think there there are two things that really stick out in my mind about this style mm-hmm. of game that make it intriguing. One is the improvisational aspect of it. Right. The, you know, the reacting to the environment, not in a mechanical way, but in a narrative way. Right. I think that's fascinating. The other thing that I find interesting about it is in addition to us dealing with the first thing, mm. the second thing is, is that we're all trying to overcome our own personal demons to deal with this particular greater evil. Mm. But then as a game master, I would find it challenging if everybody at the table is evil. What am I going to do that is so awful yeah. that makes them want to band together to overcome or to, you know, to defeat? That would be hard. Yeah. You know, unless, yeah. for example, in the impri- if they're imprisoned, they're trapped in the house or mm-hmm. they're trapped in the asylum. I think that's a that certainly greases the wheels of motivation. Yeah, I ran the haunted house type game for Pat and Wayne and Beth. And 
I don't remember all the details of the characters they were playing. Beth was playing some sort of dominatrix. I mean, that sounds, oh, crazy, kinky dominatrix, but it was more abusive and dark. Yeah, and ball torture stuff, right? right. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was it was pretty bad. Like, and her motivations and reasons, or the, the, not her, the character's motivations and reasons. Right, were, she was abused, she becomes yeah. abuser. Right, right, right. And Wayne was playing her sub. And again, this wasn't Monster Hearts where it's like, oh, fun, kinky stuff. No, I mean, it was like, it was bad. Right. Sort of abusive type thing. But Wayne also, like, killed people for her or something like that. And Pat was playing this character. I don't remember any of the details about the character. But the house was, again, reflecting their evil. And it was toying with them. It was showing them, you know, hallucinations and poltergeists. It was whispering to them. How the Game Master influences the players is by reading and understanding what they put on their character sheets, making sure that the players have very well-developed characters that have buttons. And then the house pushes those buttons. It says things to them, it shows them things, it reveals things to them, and it influences them, and it ratchets it up tension, and it pushes the buttons. And so the Game Master manipulates them. But the players have to push through. And the house manipulated Wayne into confronting pat's character pat's character was a a killer and pat basically looked at wayne was like on the edge of killing his character and then said no not today you don't matter and walked away and it crushed wayne's character i mean it totally like wayne was about to go full psycho or his character was about to go full psycho and do all this stuff but because he's the sub, it just destroyed him, right? And he was just left, you know, completely annihilated, which allowed him to stand his character up and then deal with the problem at hand, too. It was it, it's it it is a very interesting way of exploring things. I really <laughs> enjoy playing dark games that explore the psychology of people. Like it it's kind of what I said a few moments ago. Very, it's not about being dark. It is about having very well developed characters, very solidly written, that have legitimate buttons that can be manipulated. They can be manipulated by other players. They can be manipulated by the GM. They can be manipulated by the story. They can be manipulated by the player playing the character. And when you add this sort of layer of evil, of a sort of broken moral compass, of this sort of darkness, to the game itself and also the characters, it gives you more tools. If everybody's happy and everybody's on the same page and everybody's working for the same team and everybody are good guys and they're going after the bad guys, that works really great when you're clearing out a dungeon. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a path, you're walking down it, you have goals. And I'm not trying to be flippant here. I'm not saying that that game, that type of game isn't deep. It is absolutely, I've had some really great deep well emotionally impacting games like but you're exploring a different facet of the hobby sure but when you play the sort of dark games where you play somebody with evil broken moral compasses and stuff it allows you to explore things about people that you just can't talk about in polite society right when i think an important point to to raise is that you're not playing these games to get your jollies and be evil and so like oh i want to i want to do something dark and evil and and torture people and what have you you're actually doing it for a higher purpose it actually brings the evil exploring that Mm -hmm. brings a value to the game and that's what you're exploring an understanding now if you're playing one of these dark games or if you're playing one of my games that are meant to be pretty dark and you out the sociopath in your right. group, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean that that's not a good thing. Yeah, because I just you don't want to. I just don't want to game. I don't want to game with someone who is gleefully yeah. just engaging in all manners of atrocity. That's just not for me. Right. I mean, I think I told the story on the mics before about the guy I was playing with who was getting off on the torture, mm-hmm. and I mean it, we kind of outed the sociopath in that, and we were playing, and you know, a guy was being questioned and. It wasn't a matter of, well, I'm going to interrogate him. And I said, well, are you going to beat him? Are you going to, and well, I beat him. Okay. This is the information you get. You know, it was not that. My, 
my brother ran a game for some people once where they were all playing evil characters and they had just defeated, you know, the holy townsfolks, the clerics and the paladins right. and what have you that were defending the town. And one of the players said, okay, we atrocify the village. <laughs> right. And that was it. They didn't yeah. get in. They didn't get into the gruesome details of, of what have you. There's that. We atrocify the village. There, we use that expression to this day. I, I, I just, like it. Yeah. That's we atrocify true. the village. I think that there's a distinction between being evil, role playing out, doing dark things and being visceral. Right. You know, it's like when you get way, way down into the weeds of exactly how you're removing fingernails from your victim and all this terrible things that you're doing. I mean, it's one thing to say it's like, yeah, I garrot the guy and I right. you know, kill him or something like that. But it's pretty evident. I've only ever seen it once or twice, once with the torture guy, because he he's, you know, when I look at the guy and I go, he's giving details like I've already told right. him you're everything. Lo- you're looking under the table for his boner. Right. Yeah. And he is giving very vivid details of exactly how he's torturing the guy and you're like okay stop yeah okay fine okay god damn it stop and he keeps going and going and going but that to me that's not why you play dark game well that's not why i play dark games right but to me it's it's an exploration of human psychology and it's something that i've always been interested in because i remember when i was a little kid and i got a nintendo power or maybe it was just a video game like a Nintendo, I still remember it was a video game, and they had one of those reply cards, right? It's just like, you know, how old are you? You know, uh, where did you buy this game? And what kind of video games do you like? Do you have a subscription? To these what, what kind of candy would lure you into my van? Right. It, it had to be a video game company because one of the questions they asked was, what do you want out of video? What kind of video games do you want to see type of thing? And I wrote on there, and I was probably like eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there. And I said, Every video game I play, I play the good guy. I want a video game where I play the bad guy. And it wasn't because, again, it wasn't this getting my jollies off on evil. I think evil is pretty terrible. Uh, I'm kind of go team good. Uh, I consider myself chaotic good, if all things. But we always do good. You know, we live our lives. We Generally speaking, people try and help each other and try and do good. Video games, we generally play good people. In our role-playing games, we generally play good people. And we watch movies, it's good guys overcoming bad guys. That's generally speaking. Obviously, any one of these examples I just gave you can give tons of counterpoints. But generally, for the most part, it's generally good people playing generally good kind of entertainment, doing generally good things. And to me, it's like eating. If you only eat sweet things, there are other flavors. There's spicy, there's salty, there's savory. There's other flavors out there that need to be explored. And some of these things I I like and some of them I don't like. I certainly like good food, good sweet food. I certainly like the good guy stuff. I don't necessarily like the sex stuff in role-playing games. I've played Monster Heart and a couple other sex-positive games, and it's really not my cup of tea. It's kind of I I find it kind of tedious and eye rolling, whereas other people find it deep and meaningful. And I really like playing bad guys and evil stuff. Anyway, I think that's going to do it for this episode, and we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.